Hi, I'm Peter Keegan. And I'm Laura Boswell. And over there, there's the talented Mr B on sound. Welcome to Ask an Artist. Do you need the help to take the leap and become a working artist, the sort that actually gets to make art and pay the bills at the same time? Laura and I are both that sort of artist. We pay our bills and we do it by making art. And each week we'll be using our personal experience to give you help and advice in making art your proper job. So today, Peter, we're going to live up to the title of our podcast and we're going to answer some questions directly. So usually we weave the listener suggestions and questions into the episode and use them as a guide for topics. But today we're going to go straight to the source. We've got three direct questions to answer. I've got my agony aunt hat on. Have you? Yeah, Yeah, I've got my knitting with me. So Peter, read us the first question. Okay, so so, um, I'll read it straight. It says, I am a huge fan of the podcast and we always like questions like that yeah, they a start good start. Off like that's that, a really good they, start listeners they're we like bound that. to get read as an 18 year old artist coming into the art world it's been super informative and helpful that's listening to the podcast now so i wanted to ask about balancing art and family right now i have no children of my own but i've always been worried if i can make a living with my art career and have a lot of travel time involved so how can i manage this while still being a mother or wife and having a job and so on. So it's it's about that kind of balancing yeah, the work, work life balance. and yeah, and life actually, and work. Actually, before we answer it, I should say we could kind of expand this to our second career artists who may well be caring for elderly parents or have teenagers to deal with and things like that. So, you know, that whole question of how work as an artist balances with family life. So I, I suppose the first thing I would say to this is that an art career is it's a marathon, it's not a sprint. Mm. It's not instant, it doesn't happen quickly it's a very I've noticed a very slow organic sort of thing you start from little very nothing and then little and it grows and it grows sometimes Mm. that growth can be quick but it will take time you won't go from instant success from nothing overnight no that's very much the exception that's maybe one or two people that's happened to but for the rest of us it's a slow burn absolutely so it's being aware that if you are going to be a you know if you're dream and desire is to become a working artist my advice is what else are you going to do what Mm. else are you going to do that maybe allows you the time to afford to dabble and work and and, so what in terms of of having another job that will support your practice yeah uh, most artists that start out Mm. and and sort of me included really and i think to an element of you that we still have another job and our other job is is we could say teaching another Mm. that's very of course interwoven with us being an artist but we do other things as well as producing Mm. the art whether that's writing articles and, and and so on and so forth so i will um sort of say to particularly young emerging artists is that think about having a career Mm. and a career that maybe complements your artistic side so whether if you're um, you know working for a graphics company or if you're going to work in the education sector Mm. you're like I did you're sort of absorbing all that wonderful way of of teaching and that you could Mm. utilize that maybe for the future as a working artist. But I think also there is this question about what happens when babies come and you throw kids into the mix Mm -hmm. and things like that because Obviously, family life has big demands and it is going to impact on time. And if you are at the point where you're launching your career, you may have to juggle job, childcare and art practice. And I think you have to be really up for a hard work and and be being ruthless about keeping time to make art because Mm. that so easily goes by the by doesn't it that's the one thing that kind of gets seen as disposable you know oh it's just your hobby and and that's the problem if it is 
just a hobby or if it is mm. certainly your ambition to, to grow it into a business, but it's not making any money yet. Of course, when it comes to difficult decisions, that tend to be the thing that, that goes first. So, you know, it is really difficult seeing parents out there who are desperately trying to forge and carve out some time for their art. But mm. life and family and, and young children does sort of take that away. And I've certainly experienced that with say, my well, young you, children. You, you've got a young fa- younger family. Mine. Yeah. So it was, I mean, certainly in the early days, I, I wanted to be on hand mm. when the children were, you know, in their infancy. So I mm. can help to be, you know, part of raising them and to support Kimberly in regards to raising them. So mm. I was working from home. I wasn't working mm. away. My studio was in my garage, so I could literally mm. kind of pop in. But of course that did have an impact, but I, it was, a, it was, it was agreed that I would balance I would give me a certain set number of hours mm. or, or days per week where I wouldn't be disturbed that's, where I could kind of focus very, in. Very good advice. I think the other thing I would say is you, be prepared for a fight. You may have to um, support your art career and defend it to keep it. But also you need to be organised. You need to have a plan mm. for the balance. And that's something that the whole family has to understand. Yes, yeah. And yeah. It, every, it, it's, I think we've said in other episodes, you know, be respectful of your practice as an artist. Take it seriously. Because if you don't take it seriously, you're not going to be able to say, I need two hours this evening to do art. Mm. You know, you have to be tough about that. And also, as I think it's I think it's fair to say, realistic, that if you are committed to, say, having a family or you've got a busy time in your life, mm. is just to be prepared that artwork will just have to be a bit quieter this It will go slower. Month, this year, yeah. this next five years, there will be this quieter period. I suppose that what you and I are trying to say is it mm. doesn't mean to have, it doesn't have to evaporate. It doesn't have to completely mm. disappear, but no. just be prepared that it might have to be quiet, but be okay with that. It is, mm. it is perfectly fine mm. to sort of limit your time to say an evening a week or one mm. day a week, as long as you're still doing it. I think from a kind of just your sanity point of view, mm. I certainly needed to paint and draw during that very busy mm. time just as an escape for me in my own personal time and to, you know my own mental health I needed that sort of time to do it but we worked around it that we could support each other to enable us to do that and I think also the other thing I found um, certainly when my mum wasn't well and I was we were sort of juggling care of my mum is that you have to be clear up front when you've got events coming that you cannot miss so let's say you're you've got a show coming or you've got somewhere where you have to be for your art business then you have to be really clear with the family that that's that's not negotiable mm. and trade time mm. around the care that you need to give mm. because you know there are going to be things where you absolutely have to be there yeah like and, and I think you're a wonderful example I know lots of particularly uh, women artists who have taken mm. their time off to be a mother um, and mm. some have had a, a, a quite a long career break they have come back yeah, to absolutely. it and they're doing fantastically well absolutely. very very quickly yeah. because they've got the experience they've you know they've, they've learned to be incredibly resilient of having a young family yeah I would never knock that I mean as you say I'm a classic second career artist really because I did have a long career break and we had Jim and I didn't do art until he was he was much older Mm. and it's worked out fine for me so don't beat yourself up exactly absolutely so I think it's it's absolutely possible to juggle family life and being an artist it's just a question of planning, being strong about your need to to pursue this career and juggling family time around it. They're also a very good subject matter, I'd like to add. I've, <laughs> I, the amount of times I've painted my children. But sort of in summary, it, like a lot of the advice we give, 
you need to treat it professionally and you need to give it the as if it is a job, whether it is an hour a week job or an hour, you know, a, a day a week job, try and treat it as such. Turn up to work on time and let everyone know that you are at work as opposed to dabbling. You know, this is particularly true for those that are really looking to develop their art career and to make some money it out is, of it. Yeah, you need to treat right. it professionally. And if you do, everyone else are much more likely to do that as well. So let's just take a break from our agony aunting and get some colour into this podcast. Now, Laura, I know you've had a very special delivery come to you this week from a certain Mr. Paintman. <laughs> I certainly have. Fresh from Michael Harding, some watercolours. These are these hotly anticipated colours that no one else has really got yet. Yes, they're not available yet, folks. But I'm really excited because I'm going to be trying them for Japanese woodblock printing. So a printmaking technique rather than watercolour painting. Mm -hmm. And if people want to see me do that and watch these paints in action, and they are lovely. You've tried them already. I've tried them already. They are gorgeous. I'm going to be featuring them in my series of films, which you'll find on my YouTube channel. So join me there and watch these lovely pigment dense paints come to life. I'll be definitely watching that. If you'd like to find out more information about Michael Harding paints and why some of the greatest artists in the world use his paints, you can find out everything by visiting his website, michaelharding.co.uk. So now we've had our colour fix, let's get back to the questions. So if we move on to question two, I have an interesting one here. I'm going to read it as it is. I am new to all of this. I have someone wanting to purchase a poor painting of mine. My question is, how much do I charge them? It's 16 by 20 inches. Well, I, I'm, I'm curious by the word poor painting. They obviously Ooh, not, Yeah, that's not, something we should look at first of all, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, because they're not sort of putting a lot of praise on their own work. And I think we're, we're all guilty of that, of sort of being heart critical about our own well, work. Especially, I think, when you're starting out, it's very easy to be... Well, you will be very nervous. Of course. And... The, the sort of instinct is to be very self-deprecating and, you know, you, I can remember starting sales almost from the point of view, are you sure you want to buy that? <laughs> and it's a really bad idea to do that. But it's it, pricing as well is, is such a difficult thing. I get asked this all the time, what do I price it at? And mm. it, it depends on so many things. And we did a whole podcast on this. I mean, yeah, we have done podcasts. I think we've done a couple. Of yeah, sort of well, and, and it depends on so many factors like you know, your experience, how long you have been you know, working as an artist, um, the, the size, the piece, how what materials have gone into it, the length of time it's gone into creating the piece, where you're showing it, um, and so many different things. But it's I it's think such a complicated Also, point. yeah, I mean, it is. And I think also for this, this person, I think it's probably really tricky because if you have never sold anything, and mm. maybe she, I mean, she hasn't even obviously from the question put any prices on. So let's assume she's maybe having a, a first show, the stuff's on the wall, and, and and the idea is that people come and look and then shock somebody wants to buy one mm-hmm. suddenly you're in a position where you have to think on your feet so you've got to, what's the best case scenario for this the best case scenario is that she sells this painting mm. whatever she thinks of it i think is irrelevant in many ways mm. she sells this painting and the customer's happy that's the mm. best case scenario mm. the worst case is that the price is wrong Mm. and the customer doesn't buy it and then the artist mm. doesn't get any money. Mm. So I would say it's about allowing, putting that price that, that oh, it's, so many artists have said very early on, they just mm. sold stuff, just just get rid of it. I mean, I certainly did. When I was learning, I was selling pieces for just, you know, 30, 50, 60 pounds mm. as I was still learning. And mm. 
that kind of went into the coffers to buy some more art materials and I was able to sort of carry on. I didn't sort of jump up to selling paintings at £600. So I, I think sort of selling affordable, affordably to begin mm. with is, is certainly acceptable and fine, but don't charge sort of charity shop prices for no, it. No, I mean, I, I think in an absolutely ideal world, if you are going to put your work in front of the public in whatever context, have an idea of what you would cho- you would charge if a stranger came up and said, well, mm. I like that, how much is it? So, you know, assuming that you haven't got all that in place, then my first thought would be, if it's a show, has anybody got any prices on yeah. the wall? And if so, what are those prices and can they relate to your work? So if if the lady next door has got a painting that's that's priced, you could maybe use that as a reference for a guide mm-hmm. for a price. And I think also if you're really on the spot, honesty is often a good policy. Look the person in the eye and say, I'm really pleased you, you want this picture. I'm very proud of it. Mm what's your offer? Mm. You know, what sort of price were you thinking? And I really, it's not something that I would suggest is good practice normally, but if you're really not prepared and you've got no idea, then I think it's fair to be honest and say, look, I'm new to this. Mm. Always be proud of your work. Always think, you know, you could go as far as to make a joke about you've got a good eye for an investment. I'm new to this. And (laughs) and you're in at the ground level. Yeah make me an offer. Mm. And I, it's important to say that just because you consider that not to be a good work of piece of your work, someone else will see the absolute merits mm. and, and joy in it. And yeah, I've don't noticed insult it. the buyer no, by telling them all. that your work's rubbish. A- absolutely, That's a really, you know. really big mistake. Never make the buyer feel stupid for wanting to buy your work. So if you're honest and you, you, you throw the question to the client and say, well, make me an offer, you do have to be prepared for their answer. So, so, so what if I said, I'll pay you uh, £3.50 for it? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, in that case, you have to be ready to say, well, no, that doesn't reflect the amount of work or the materials or so on. Because yeah, of course, if you're, you know, if you, the materials that have gone into it cost way more than that, and of course there's framing and, and all time. the other bit and your time, you know, if it doesn't even begin to scratch that, then of course that I would say is way too low yeah never be ashamed of saying no never apologize Mm. just politely explain that it doesn't reflect the value of the piece Mm. and that you can't take that offer but if they come back to you and they offer you way more so than this, you I'll, expect... I'll, I'll, uh, will will 3,000 be enough for this, madam? <laughs> when, what, what, how would you react? <laughs> don't you dare flinch. Look them in the eye and say, yes, I can agree to that. And don't don't be surprised. It's a bit... I, I always think it's a bit like being a barrister in court. You know, you mustn't be taken aback mm. by the unexpected. If it's good, go with it. If it's bad, explain politely why you can't agree to it. <laughs> so, so channel your inner barrister and, <laughs> and that's keep great that game advice. face on. Okay, we've got one last question for today. And it reads, I've recently started teaching small workshops in my village. They are fun, low-key affairs, and I've really enjoyed connecting with the local art lovers. Unfortunately, one student has become too enthusiastic. In class, she wants all my attention and has even dropped uh, by my house to ask advice a couple of times. Uh, Given she's a local and I don't want any ill feelings affecting my fledgling classes, how do I manage her in class and can I do anything about her visiting uninvited? Oh my God. As a British person, the idea of someone actually turning up at the house uninvited is pretty horrific at the best of times. 
I completely empathise with this uh, person because I have been this, in this exact situation. Have you? Yeah. Wow. Um, I didn't get to the point where the student was dropping by my house, but the student was very keen to do that and kept asking where I lived and wanted to sort of find out. Do you know, out. I think my sister was on the course with this naughty student. I think she I may think, have been. Yes. yes you're absolutely <laughs> right. And it was, it was sort of, it was, there can be a point where a disruptive character yeah, because they're demanding they of your time um, and they kind of they, they need to be treated differently from everybody else and they kind of want that extra bit that no mm. one else has um, and that is a very difficult thing to manage respectfully professionally politely in 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 that classroom mm. setting um, the way I have found is you just need to be consistent and you have to be fair to everyone else because if you are treating somebody different to everyone who is participating in, mm. a, in a workshop experience they should all be treated equally in the same and it's unfair for you and to you give somebody to so much more. About yeah and you Absolutely have to be say well I'm yeah. going to give you the same amount of time Adam as I am everybody else because otherwise it's unfair and it's not fair to the eight or however many other people they've mm. paid the same amount there mm. with you the same amount of time so just being very outlining those the parameters I think is, is, is so important and if it ruffles a feather then I think so be it I think the rest of the class will be on your side I think you're absolutely right I mean I've had this in classes and because of the way that I teach people tend to sit in table groups mm. and if it gets if it gets tricky I resort back to very sort of primary school teaching where I will say to them that's a great question whoever but I'm going to work around everybody in turn mm. and I'll come and deal with it when I get to you. And I go to a, each person and check they're okay because it schools the person who's who's the time hogger to understand that there are rules. Mm. And actually people always like it when you go around checking they're okay anyway. Yeah. So that kind of is a win-win. But I think you're right. I think there's absolutely nothing wrong with laying it on the line and maybe ruffling their feathers but you can do it in a nice way absolutely I always you do know, it with humor or, or cheeky banter or whatever yeah. it's, it's always done yeah. politely and respectfully in, in a good spirit it's not sort yeah. of telling anybody off or anything yeah. but i think everyone uh, both the the, the well-behaved participants and those that are they need to know what yeah. the, the boundaries are it's sort of like being in, in a classroom yeah, with children they need absolutely. to know what is acceptable and actually yeah. this is what i'm going to do as a tutor and this yeah. is there's no negotiation and it's okay that. to say you know i'm i'm going to be really fair with my time it's important everybody gets the same amount of time so i'm going to work like this yeah. or whatever and then they know where they are and it's very hard for them to come back at you and say well actually i'm special and i want a bit extra yeah so that's, correct that's important. now in regards to sort of Dropping round, dropping your around the house. Now I'm always very clear that that when I'm at work, I'm at work. Yeah. And when I go home, I go home. And I don't pop round mm. um, the person that works at Tesco's to their house and say, "Sorry, can you remind me of the price of that uh, that, <laughs> that grade of flour?" Because they're not mm. at work, and I wouldn't do that. And I, I sometimes you have to remind people of that. And it's a little mm. bit back to the people forget sometimes that you know your art is not just your hobby, but yeah. it's your job. And yeah. sometimes when I go home, I leave my job at work I leave it at the studio yeah. and I'm focusing on my garden and being a father and cooking and stuff I don't want to be constantly no. at work and sometimes I do need to politely remind people yeah that, I think you that. can you can smile at the lady don't invite them in just smile at them on the doorstep and say I'm really sorry I haven't got my teaching hat on at the moment mm. let's discuss it in class where everyone can benefit yes absolutely that's turning you know, into a positive make it a really positive like you know that's an interesting question let's discuss it at the next lesson mm. goodbye yeah and just be very firm about that. I think that it's always a bit delicate 
especially in a sort of village scenario where there's that boundary between friend and teacher. Mm. And I'm always very careful to keep that boundary. I don't tend to get involved if I've got a class and they're all going off to lunch or they're all going for a drink afterwards. I tend to step away from that because I think, you know, you need to set boundaries as a teacher. And especially in that village environment, if you are not happy Mm. to have people dropping around, you need to start nip that in the bud or everybody will be dropping around. Yeah. There's a great term that um, Kimberly uses and used to use when she was uh, a teacher. I mean, it, it sort of goes that I'm friendly, but I'm not your friend. Yeah, that's that's really good. You know, and, it, and it's sort of, and I know there are lots of artists and tutors out there that, that, that their students do become friends or they are mm. friends to begin with. Mm. But I think that as long as they understand that when they are in the classroom, mm. that the kind of the gossipy friendship cliques just have to kind of not exist during that period of time for the sake of everybody else because you don't want to feel alienated as a student that the tutor is there having a good old gossipy chat with their friends I mean it doesn't really come up in the question but that's another good point if you're running little workshops in your village which is is, or in your small area where Mm. you know people which is something that we often do as starting out as artists yes is to remember that just because you know, David or Flo or whoever is your best mate, mm. once they're in the class, they're just another one of your students. Yeah. And you must be fair because I've been at teaching events where I've been a student where it's felt pretty uncomfortable because you're not part of the group yes, or the in crowd or the person who knows the tutor. So, mm. you know, that's something to think about as well. Yeah. And rest assured that if you do say yes the needy student as soon as you give in it will keep happening and it'll get bigger yeah. and bigger and bigger yeah. so yeah. you have to really kind of put your your, your big knickers you, on and say no i'm not going <laughs> to do that and, do. and just sort of don't be afraid to be a little bit strict and and again it's being professional people will respect you for it and you want the class on your side you don't want that one disruptive person no. on your side no absolutely not So that's been a really interesting group of questions. And I think this is something we're going to do on a much more regular basis, isn't it? So, Peter, what's our takeaway for this week? So in order for us to carry on with these episodes, we are going to need some more questions from you at home. So if there's a question or an experience that you have been involved that you would love mine and Laura's opinion on, then please do ask us. You can submit your questions by visiting our website, askanartistpodcast.com. Um, click on the questions and you can send us your fascinating question and we will agony aunt it back for you. <laughs> yeah, so thank you for listening. And remember that you can also catch up with the stuff that we've covered in this episode and all our other episodes in our show notes also at askanartistpodcast.com. And in the meantime, please do help us by subscribing to the show and telling all your would-be artist friends about us. Bye.